Uh, would you agree that the market today is different than it's ever been in your 20 plus years of real estate? Dude, I'm not that old. You're pretty old. Would you agree it's different? It's different. Yes, Brian. It, the market is uh, is very unique right now. And so listing a home now is much different than it has been the last year, the last two years, the last five years. Is that right? I don't think you could have more polar opposite markets to list in than the market today versus the market 12 months ago. So on today's podcast, I really want you to give topical, timely advice on how we at Whistle Realty Group are pricing homes in today's market, which is different than any other time you've seen in the last 50 years. I think that could be a fun one. <laughs> Should we talk about that today? Yeah, like 75 years ago, remember when you were doing real estate? Yeah, you just <laughs> keep aging me. Holy there shit. All right, yeah, let's get into it then. Cool. Again, welcome to the Whistle Way Podcast. My name is Kyle Whistle, your host with Whistle Realty Group in San Diego. And I'm Brian Kochi, Director of Marketing here at Whistle Realty Group. And the goal of the show is to answer the questions that you have for us. So the question that you just heard is one that you guys gave us. And if you have a question you want to have us answer on a future episode of the show, you can always go to thewhistleway.com where you can ask us questions on there, subscribe to the podcast or YouTube channel, join our referral network, our private Facebook group, or our email newsletter to get some timely tips and tricks on what's going on in the market. And with that said, let's uh, let's dive into this. So let's talk a little bit. We're filming this here. It's literally Halloween today. Spooky. As you can tell by our costumes. Yes, yeah, so black and gray. Yeah, <laughs> like a, same thing I wear every day. Might as well be my uniform. Um, so we're recording this on Halloween of 2022. So just to um, frame this up appropriately, depending on when you're listening to it. And yeah, this market is insane. I mean, I've Brian's apparently stated I've done this for over 20 years. Uh, How many I, years have you done it? Licensed or unlicensed? How how many years have you done real estate? Twenty, not over twenty. So you try to age me. Oh, twenty. I bet you it's twenty years in like three months. We're good. It actually is exactly twenty years. I've closed on my first place in uh, October of two thousand and two. Was it October thirty first? Well, it's clearly <laughs> was not after October thirty first in October. So it's probably over twenty years. Okay, carry on. <laughs> um. So, uh, yeah, the market, it's, it's, this is just wild. And, you know, so I've obviously been through the cycle. I started in 2002, so I saw this crazy run up. Um, and then we had the crash in seven and eight and then all the way back down. And then in whatever, 10, 12, we started to pick back up again. And, and now we're coming back down. So this is the good thing is this is like my second cycle through. And uh, I feel like I learned a lot the first time around. And, and it's very beneficial coming into this for a second time because the reality of it is, I don't know the, the exact statistic, but I know that the majority of people who are licensed today were not licensed in 2007 or eight. More than 50% of the people who are licensed and practicing today were not licensed the last time we had a down market. They probably, the majority of them probably weren't licensed four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fact. There's a well, the fact that we made up. <laughs> it's a high turnover business. So, uh, you know, a lot of people are out there just kind of lost right now. We've used the the lighthouse analogy, right? You're a ship lost at sea. It's foggy. You have no idea where the hell to go. And you're looking for that lighthouse to, to get some direction. And hopefully we can be a lighthouse for you today, having been through this before, because this is unique. And a lot of people just don't know what to do in a market like this and are, are just very, very lost. And so... Um, you know, if you find yourself in that boat, like hopefully we can add some value and help you out a little bit today because the conversations, I have some, some very close friends who are thinking about getting out of the market, not solely because there's far less transactions. I think statistically there's about 30% less transactions happening today than there was six months ago. Um, so most people are making less money. 
that's part of it. But the conversations you're having are very difficult right now, right? You're getting yelled at now. You weren't getting yelled at six months ago. Unless you're calling. Well, you weren't calling expired six months ago. There was ago. no expired six <laughs> months ago. So, you know, there there's a lot more um, frustration out there amongst buyers and sellers, more so on the seller side right now. So especially those people that have been focused on listings. I mean, it was the easiest job in the world, right? Like if you got the listing, you knew it was going to sell. I mean, it was clockwork. We go live on Thursday Um then we do open house Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We have multiple offers. On Monday, we go highest and best, and we review the highest and best offers and pick one on Wednesday. Like It was clockwork. It was a seven-day cycle, and we could pretty much rinse and repeat it over and over and over again. And most of the time, you're calling your seller not to tell them we have an offer, but how many offers we have. And how, how many hundreds and, of thousands of dollars above yeah, ask. And, and you're getting them an absurd amount of money over the list price. So it was very easy to do that for a period of time, but now instead of calling the seller and telling them about how many offers you have, now you're calling the seller and telling them how much they have to adjust their price. And that is not an easy conversation to have. I mean, it's yeah. a very, very difficult conversation when all you've ever done your whole career is tell the seller about how many offers you have. Yeah, yeah, especially when the sellers, you know, their best friends or their neighbor sold six months ago. That's in their mind, that's not too long ago. Six months ago, three months ago, that's not, that's not that far away. Like, but... It's not how long ago it was, but it was just different market with with interest rates, with with everything. It almost changed over a course of a couple of weeks. Yeah, where literally someone that that closed on their house, someone else listed the same day that they closed. It it was a completely different market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were talking. One of our agents helped a client buy a home in April, and which was the peak. And they had some sort of life situation change and they need to sell it now. And they're like, oh, we, we need to sell it for what we paid for it plus commissions. And it's like, no, you're going the wrong direction. If you closed in April, you cannot list it for more than what you paid in April. Like mm-hmm. we probably slid, no, 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 we'll call it roughly 10% in San Diego. So you can't go higher when the market has gone 10% lower. That, that just doesn't fly. So again, that's that's a very hard conversation to have, right? How do you tell somebody like, hey, I know you just bought it six months ago, but you're going to lose all of the cost of selling plus the 10% that the market has dropped. You're you're literally looking at a, let's call it a 16, 17% you know, loss. And with home prices at around a million dollars here in San Diego, yeah. I mean, that's $160,000 yeah. to lose in six months. And so for those of you who have not gone through this before, that's how you have short sales. Short sales exist because of situations like this client who had a life change happen, needs to sell, but they cannot sell for what they owe. Therefore, you're upside down. If you sell, your the proceeds will fall short of what you owe the bank. That equals a short sale. So I'm just saying you may want to learn about short sales. Not a bad idea. Ugh. I know. That's a shitty situation. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's kind of a good segue into, okay, so they can't list it for what they did before. How do we list a home? Do we just look at what they, what home prices were in April and pull 10% down and do that? Like, how do we, how do we price out a home now? Especially when you're looking at comps that are last six months, last 12 months. Again, we just said over and over and over again, very different now. Yeah. I mean, you really, you definitely can't go back 12 months. Um, even six months is, is getting aggressive. You're really right now trying to hone in on like the last 90 days. Um, because anytime you have a market that's moving quickly, the um, date of sale has to be more recent. 
when you have a flat market, you can go back 12 months and it's not a big deal. But the market that we had six months ago, we were going up so fast, if you went past six months, you were gonna come in too low. Now, if you go past six months, you're gonna come in too high. So, um, you know, right now we're really trying to key in on what's sold in this declining market. So I'm really trying to key in on stuff that's sold within the last 90 days. Um, I'm also really trying to key in on what's gone pending. Um, pendings and actives now are almost more important than solds. Because wow, if we have a clip from what you said again six nine months ago. You said if you look at pending or sold, you're stupid. Because at that point, true. But yeah, now it's totally different. Yeah, because what I've got to know right now is at what number are properties actually getting offers, which is what pendings are going to tell me, right? At this number, they were able to solicit an offer. Does it mean the offer was at the list price? No, it doesn't. But it at least tells me it got a buyer to act, which is why I'm very, very focused on those pendings. I'm also very focused on leveraging relationships, which I think is something that agents totally miss uh, the mark on building relationships. They don't understand, like, well, Kyle, why do you hang out with all of your competitors? Like, what are you doing? Why do you go grab beers with them? Why do you go out into coffee and go to all these networking things? Because I want to be able to call that pending listing and say, hey, I saw that you guys went pending. What number did you go pending at? To get that kind of intelligence is so effing valuable because if I have that info and I can go into a listing appointment and my competitor doesn't have that same info, I can win that listing because I show that I did more research than they did because I know something they don't. Yeah, I, I tuned into the Monday Morning Mastermind a little bit this morning. Dude, it was so, so good. I missed most of it. Dude, the um, end, you're watching the end whether you want to or not. Okay. Um, but it was funny. Within five minutes, I saw uh, you, Dan Beer, uh, Jody Lynn Kim, who also works in our area, and... Um, Chase Cromwell. Chase. I can't want to say Colton because he was on there too. But yeah, I was like... All four of these people were all in San Diego, sell San Diego. And it was funny, 700 plus people on there. And the four people within like five minutes is funny. Yeah. But yeah, building those relationships locally. Those relationships are so valuable because if I could see one, like average price in San Diego is around a million bucks for a single family home. So let's just run with the million dollars. Like if I see that there's a bunch of homes listed in the area and the one that was listed at a million went pending, where the ones that were listed at a million fifty are still active. That's telling me a million's what's going to get somebody to act. But now I got to figure out what did they actually, you know, come to an agreement at? Because more often than not, right now people aren't agreeing at the list price; they're agreeing at some number below the list price. So, being able to get that intelligence is really, really freaking valuable. So, um, that's just a piece of advice, especially if you're newer. Like, you need to get out. You need to go to networking events. You need to meet as many real estate agents as possible. You know, Brian and I, whenever we go to conferences, like a lot of times, I'll tell my whole team. I love you guys. I don't want to hang out with you at the conference. And they'll be like, Kyle, what the, that's fucked up. I'm like, look, <laughs> I'm going to see you next week. And I saw you last week. Right. I'm only going to see the people who are here at this conference at this conference. Because once this conference is over, I'm not going to see them next week. And I didn't see them last week. So go meet as many people as you can and build as many relationships as you can. Um, just a big fan of that. Even when you go to networking events, like I see people do it all the time. They naturally go and just hang out with like the people that they know that are in their office. Like it's easy. You're going to hang out with them tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing? And we're in, um, there's a Facebook group we have called the be different mastermind. I actually put a link in there today 
to uh, some networking tips from Darren Hardy, who's a coach I'm uh, following heavily right now. And it's a free course. He does his courses are very expensive, but this is a free one solely around networking. Like if you can be a good networker, that's going to pay dividends for you for the rest of your life. Um, so I spend a lot of time going to networking events, networking with agents, grabbing coffees, grabbing beers, grabbing lunches, right? Like um, doing dinners, all that kind of stuff. Because when I can get that intelligence, when I'm trying to price a home is huge. So that's part of it. Um, and then I'm also looking at the actives, right? What number are they not selling at? So if I see something has been sitting for 30, 60, 90 days and it's, you know, they have had no activity, I'll still call those too. Like I want to find out, um, Hey, how's it going? Have you had any showings, any offers, what's going on? Because if I can call and this is something that we prep sellers for. So, we'll, um, talk about it is when I'm talking to a seller, I'm very, very, um, big on setting proper expectations for the seller. So there's two conversations that I have with the seller. One of them is I let the seller know in this market, we're looking to see uh, one to two showings per week. If at any point we're not, we have two consecutive weeks where we don't get at least one to two showings, that's the market letting us know that the price is not attractive enough to get buyers to come see your home. And you and I know your home is amazing because when they see these beautiful $20 ceiling fans from Home Depot that you're so excited about. Show me the gonna, $20 ceiling fan. I can't find gonna it. They're going to fall in love with your home. <laughs> we just need to get them here. But unfortunately, the price isn't attractive enough to get them here. So we need to adjust the price. So I say that to the seller. The second thing I tell the seller is we're typically looking to see an offer within about six to eight showings on the home. So if we get to a point we've had six or eight showings on the home and we haven't received an offer yet, now we need to look at the feedback and figure out why are the buyers not writing the offer. If it's something we can change about the home, paint, flooring, landscaping, maybe we change that. But if it's something that we can't change, backs up to a freeway across the street from a cemetery, the only thing we can do is adjust the price to offset um, the issue. So those are the conversations I'm having with my seller. So I'm now kind of having those conversations in reverse with the listing agent. Hey, how long have you guys been on the market? Oh, how many showings have you had the last couple of weeks? Have you guys received any offers? Right now I'm just doing the inverse because now I can figure out how far off they are on price. If mm -hmm. I call and they've had zero showings in the last two weeks, that tells me not only are they priced too high, they're substantially too high. They're probably five to 10% off the market. If they're getting showings, they're not getting offers, they're probably closer to like 5%. But if they've been, you know, two, I, I talked to an agent today who's uh, four weeks on the market, zero showings, you are 10% off. If you've gone four weeks on the market without a showing, you're probably 10% off the mark. So by asking listing agents some of these questions, I can figure out how far off they are on the price, which is, what is that doing? Helping me understand where do I need to be on my price? So right now because you have more time because you're doing less deals you got to spend a little bit more time with your with you know doing your research on the market to figure out where you need to be so those are the conversations i'm having with the seller that's how i'm also helping to determine the price um, and now when we determine the price think of a ladder think of a ladder and there's different rungs on the ladder um, when i talk to a seller so if you're listening sorry hopefully you can have a visual of a ladder in your head if you're watching on podcast i'm going to poorly demonstrate this for you um, but think about the top rung of the ladder, right? Let's think everybody obviously is trying to get top dollar for their home. So everybody's on this top rung. In this market, a lot of times there's five or six homes that are on the market that are all relatively similar. You know, plus or minus a bedroom, a bathroom, a few square feet here and there, generally the same condition, but everybody's got their homes priced 
right in kind of the same price range. Let's just say everybody's listed in like the million to a million 25 price range. Like that's where everybody is. Well, if we come on the market, there's already five people there. We're now number six. And if we price it in that range, we're now one of six on that same rung of the ladder. Now we've got to hope that somebody's going to come in and fall in love with our home above and beyond the other five homes that are for sale in the area. Now, I think your home is great, but at the end of the day, would you agree, Brian, that it's pretty similar to the Smith's home over on 123 Main Street and you know the Johnson's home over on 234 B Street, right? Like we would agree they're probably pretty similar homes. So we could go here and hope that a buyer is going to fall in love with your $20 ceiling fans and offer on your home, but the reality of it is that's just hope and hope's not a strategy. So a strategy that we could use is we can actually take a step down one run. Now I know that automatically scares you, right? Coming down on the price is scary, but let's just, let's run through this. What's going to happen is if we don't do that, we're just all here on the top and odds are we're all going to sit forever and ever until we get lucky. We can actually take control of it and step down one rung on the ladder. When we do that, we now become the clear and obvious decision because now somebody looks in the neighborhood, all five other people are up in this higher price band of let's call it a million to a million 25. We come in at a million 50. Maybe we come in at a million 75, somewhere in that price range. I'm sorry, uh, nine, <laughs> 950, 975. I was like, wait a second, there's, new, there's new ladders rungs. <laughs> <laughs> we come in, let's say 950, 975. Well, at that point, we now become the clear and obvious decision for the buyer who's looking in the neighborhood because we're a good 25, maybe even 50,000 below everybody else in the neighborhood. Now a buyer comes in and it's an easy decision for them to make for them to buy your home. But here's what happens. If you choose not to come down one rung on the ladder, you want to stay hanging on this top rung. Somebody else is going to take that step down. And so if it's not you, it's them. But guess what? Now they're going to take that step down and they're going to sell What's going to happen? You and everybody else is going to have to step down to that next rung on the ladder. Is now, that's, now the comp. that's the new comp. Now you're in the same boat all over again. So now do you want to stay at that number or do you want to be the first one to take the step down to the lower number? Because if you don't, somebody else is going to beat you there. Now you're going to follow them down again and again and again. And before you know it, you're on the floor. You're not even on the freaking ladder anymore. So you got to decide, do you want to take that now to make yourself clear and obvious decision because if you don't somebody else is going to now you're going to have to come down two rungs on the ladder now you're going to sell for 900 so which way do you want to sell brian right here on the second rung of the ladder or do you want to end up on the third or fourth rung down yeah that makes sense and it's, it's a really good way to and you draw this with a seller and help them get this visual and it just makes freaking sense right yeah. so it's a, a really good strategy to help a seller understand where they need to price their listing what What's the difference uh, between each rung, right? If, if you say, oh, they're at a million and we're going to come $5 lower, that's not enough to, to drop you down a rung. Is it a about a, per, a percentage I, number? I'd say or? around 5%. Okay, yeah, cool. Roughly 5% is going to be enough to move the needle. If you're talking everybody's priced at a million and you go 990, I don't think that's a clear and obvious decision at that point. But Correct. if everybody's priced price. at a million and you're at 950, you stand out from the crowd, yeah, right? Sure. You're standing out. Um, and not only are you going to stand up, but you're going to sell quicker. And we all know that the quicker you sell, the more money you're going to get. The longer you sit on the market, now it just becomes blood in the water. Every time you drop your price, you know, the higher your days on market go and the more times you've dropped your price, the more bloody the water is and the more sharky it gets. So you want to try to avoid that at all costs. Um, 
the, you kind of talked about this, but not really. What's your thought about pricing it uh, substantially lower and letting people bid up? Or, and I don't think you can do it. I don't think this is the right word. You'll tell me the right word, but like the auction type. You can't auction unless you're an auction house, right? There's weird rules, but there's something that's an auction that's exactly the same, but it's not called an auction. Yeah, it's right? an auction style, okay. not a certified auction. Yeah, no. you actually have to be like licensed to host an yeah. auction, apparently. Um, <laughs> go figure. Uh, I mean, you get, yeah. a license, get a license to cut someone's hair, so like. Very yeah. costly, uh, very time uh, intensive license. Yeah. So there's, there have been people who've tested the strategy of price it extremely low to get a bidding war going. That's just risky as hell to me. And, and I think in a market like this, people are far more risk averse. In a up market, the market's gonna cover for you if you screw up. But in this market, if you screw up, it could damage you a lot, right? And um, so I, I don't love the strategy. I'm sure there's plenty of people who say, oh, we use it all the time, it works great, more power to you. Um, I don't think that the potential damage to my reputation is worth it because if I shoot that shot and I miss, I'm going to have a seller who's not just a little frustrated. They're going to be extremely frustrated because it's hard to recover from that, right? So let's yep. say let's say it's worth a million and we go like, let's price it at 800. So like everybody comes and looks at it, hoping it's going to get bid up there. Like that's a hope and that, again, hope is not a strategy. And especially with people, Buyers are getting used to um, bidding under, not bidding over. So yeah, they may bid a little over, but bringing up two hundred grand might be a little bit rough. Yeah, it's. I just don't think it's the market for it. I think in the market we just came out of, yeah, you could do that because there was enough buyers and you knew people were going to come and bid it up. But there's just not enough buyers right now, so I, I think it's a little risky personally. Now again, somebody might say it works and, and more power to you. I'm not saying it doesn't, but it's not the strategy that I want to run. And Lord knows you don't want to run it. And you know if I don't want to run it, you're... That's my thought. I like risk, but Kyle that's not a risk I want to take. Kyle is all for risk. And the fact that he's uh, being careful on this makes me be like, uh, I'm going to stay far <laughs> away away from that as possible. Yeah, I think just the damage you can do, you know, especially let's say you run that play in your farm and you miss. One, you list it low and everybody in the neighborhood hates you. Yep. What the hell are you doing? Why did you list it so low? And then it doesn't sell. I mean, think about the damage you just did to your brand if you know if you run the play and it doesn't work. Not only is the seller pissed off at you, but everybody in the neighborhood saw you list this home for twenty or thirty percent below market, and then it doesn't sell. Now there's this like uh, black eye on the neighborhood. Mm. Like I don't, I just don't like that. Mm, good point. So okay, we're looking at last ninety days. You're looking at pending and active. What areas? Um, and you're saying we're having 30%-ish less sales now than we were six months ago. What areas do you have more wiggle room when comping properties? So obviously we talked about not the days. Do you look uh, farther distance? Do you look um, year built, size, bedrooms, bathrooms? Where do you have more wiggle room if you come up and you go, well, I have one comp and it was sold 95 days ago that matches it. It's property specific. You got to figure out what is it about the subject property that's causing you to have issues. So an example would be in my old neighborhood. Um, all the homes were built in like the fifties and they were all like a thousand to 1500 square feet. My neighbor did this insane remodel and he was like 3,500 square feet. Right? So in that scenario, 
you gotta you go to pull those comps you use your normal like let's say 20 percent square footage criteria you're not gonna find a freaking house so you whenever you run comps and you don't get a, a big enough sample size you have to figure out what is the uh criteria you input that's causing you to not find something so in that case it's square footage if i'm in a neighborhood we're here in la mesa in san diego there are homes in la mesa that were built in the early 1900s and there are homes that were built in the last year or two so if i'm going in and i have a early 1900s home and i pull it and i use my normal like 10-year criteria i probably am not going to get much so in that scenario, I got to look, why am I not getting any? Oh, it's because I got a 1900s home in an area where you also have a lot of new homes. So you just have to look at the individual property and figure out what it is about that property of what you can play around with. But the one that you really don't want to play with is the date of sales, the biggest one that you're going to change in this market. But the rest are just general fundamentals of comping. And before we get into our whistle widget of the week, one more thing I want to talk about on this is... Um, damn it. I forgot it as I was talking and I thought it would come to me. It didn't. Um, oh, there it is. How many homes do you want to get when you're comping it? I think you're going to have more trouble finding solds than actives and pendings right now. And that's okay. Um, but ideally you want to have like three to four in the active and pending category that you can base it off of. Ideally at least one pending because again, the pending is going to be a better indicator of where buyers are acting than the active. So I'd say three to four active or pending and at least a couple sold. Okay, cool. Six is always kind of like the general uh, target, six to eight, but I think a six is enough right now. Yeah, because if you do something and you find 20, you need to refine your search more. Yeah, yeah. Your, cool. your criteria is too loose. You got to tighten it up. Cool. So let's transition right into our whistle widget of the week. Yeah. So this is something that we utilize in our business that either saves us time, makes us more money, or just lets us have a little bit more fun. Yeah, mine this week is something that I've been talking, I feel like I've been talking about nonstop. And it's a new feature that was released on Instagram in the last three months or so. And this is the ability to add a collaborator on Instagram. And so what this will allow you to do is it will allow you to post something and invite someone else to post it as well. They don't have to edit it. They can just literally click one button and it posts. So I've been using this a lot We've been using that this a lot at Whistle Realty Group on our Instagram, where every time we make a post with an agent in it, we add them as a collaborator. We're doing that with uh, videos that you've posted or you've created, and we make you as a collaborator. We're doing that now with businesses we spotlighted in our local businesses. I actually just did it last night with uh, just uh, photos of my weekend, and I had added my wife as a collaborator. So the great thing is, one, it makes it really easy for the other person to share it on their feed. And two, it allows you to um, kind of cross-pollinate your audience. Your, your audience gets to see it. Their audience gets to see it. And it really gets you in front of their audience, just like what we try and do with our, our community content course or series is let's get in front of their audience. This allows us to really cross-pollinate easily. Uh, one, my big issue that I have with it right now is you can only do it, and again, this is as of October 31st, unless they change it in the last week, you can only do it from your phone. So it adds several more steps to our people that are posting it, either here stateside or internationally, where they have to download the, the stuff on their phone and then upload it. But 
the collaborator feature on Instagram is my by far my favorite widget right now. And you have to do it with the original post. You can't go back and edit it and add a collaborator. You can only add a tag. Yep. So, and, and the way to do it is as you go to post it, there's an option that says add tag, which it's hiding in there. You hit add tag and then it says invite collaborator or add a tag. So you invite the collaborator there. But yeah, you can't, if you want to do a collaborator on that post, you delete the post and repost it um, with the collaborator from the beginning. So cool. I think they're going to, change it and grow it as things go. But as of now, that's how you have to do it. And it's by far my favorite feature. Cool. I'll, um, well, I already teased in the live of what I was going to do. So I was going to go to a different direction, but I'm going to talk about my magic bed. Your magic bed that you told me about in Vegas. Yeah, that I told you about <laughs> in Vegas. I got a magic bed. Um, this is one for those of you who have had children, which I, this is my first podcast in now it's seven weeks. Um, and as you know, when you have a newborn, sleep is at a premium. And I think every parent has probably had a moment with a newborn where you've literally been willing to do anything to just get your baby to shut the F up and go to sleep. I'm sure every parent out there has had a, a moment where you've had bad thoughts go through your head and you've just thought, like, I will do anything to just shut this baby up and have it go to sleep. There's a reason whenever you say you have a baby, someone's like, don't shake your baby. There's a reason people say that. I thought it was crazy until I had a kid. Oh, thank you for telling me over and over again. <laughs> yeah. So there's, we tried a few different options, but we arrived on, um, one, this bed is magical. It, you put your baby in it, you swaddle them into it, which if swaddling is very important so the baby still feels safe and um, everything like they did when they were in the womb. Um, but then you put them in the bed and you just hit a button and then the bed just like does the work for you. So as you put the baby in the bed, it has like a gentle rocking motion back and forth and it has sound that it makes. Um, then as the baby, if the baby starts to get fussy, then it will increase the... Um, level of motion in the bed and it will change the sounds and it will continue to escalate it through multiple different levels and it, it culminates at one where you literally it gets pretty damn loud Just and say, it's like shut up heartbeat. baby shut up <laughs> no, that's me um and the, it's like a heartbeat i almost feel like i'm in the room i feel like i'm in the womb like it's so intense and it's just crazy and then as the baby calms down then it reduces the sound and the motion and everything so it's doing a lot of the work for you. So you'll hear your baby get fussy and where you would normally like get up and like, oh, let me grab the baby and rock her. You just like, hey, the bed's got this. It's freaking magic. So the bed is called a snoo, S-N-O-O. -O. Um, and you can either buy the bed outright, which it's $1,700 if you buy it outright. Um, you could buy used, which is the route that we went. Um, shout out to Asia for hooking me up. And the other option is you can rent it. So you can just, cause you really can only use it for about six months and you don't need it anymore. So you could alternatively rent it and they do like a six month rental program. That's like a hundred bucks a month. And you know what they do, what they should do is if you go on their website to rent it between the hours of like 11 p.m. and, and 6 a.m., they double the price. Yeah. Because at that point, you're like, I don't care. $2,000 a day, I don't, let's go. <laughs> I'm done with it. Yeah. So that bed has been very, very beneficial for getting some extra sleep, which is uh, pays dividends throughout the day. So check it out, Snoo. Um, it's great. Cool. Thanks so much for watching, guys.